Ronnie, I know you, uh, I sense that you typically feel a certain amount of anxiety around how I open our conversations just because you don't know. It's true. I don't know what question you're going to ask me or throw yeah. at me. Yeah. So the people listening know this is, this part's never rehearsed in any way. <laughs> so what you got? <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it's not even, it's not even that well thought out. Uh, but I was thinking today, just in anticipation of our guest today, that um, we've had the, the opportunity to visit with a lot of people who um, have accomplished quite a bit. I don't know that we have had someone who is officially in a hall. And, uh, and today we get to welcome someone who is among the DMAW Hall of Leaders Award recipients, and that's Roger Yama. Thank you. Roger, honestly, that is quite the accomplishment to be recognized among your peers in, in such a elevated way. Well, it is. And, you know, I think it hit me last year as I was preparing for the, the Hall of Leaders uh, award ceremony. And you, you think of people in our industry, and I think of folks like Austin Kiplinger, think of folks like Richard Vigory, Roger Craver, it's amazing that both Roger and Richard are still very active in the industry. And, you know, when I first started, you know, close to 40 years ago, uh, they were on pedestals at that time. And for me to be even mentioned in the same sentence or on the same listing as uh, those three is is uh, pretty remarkable. But I'm very humbled by the honor. But hopefully it, um, you know, represents uh, some of what I've tried to do in my career in trying to further not only our industry, uh, but certainly the uh, Direct Marketing Association of Washington as an organization. So it's very humbling. Man, I was already really excited for this conversation, and now I'm even more so. Uh, and so welcome to welcome to Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord, with me as always is a huge fan of halls and that's ronnie richard big hall fan and so today we have roger yama on the show roger is executive vice president of solutions and innovation at wyland if you're a regular listener you know that as a part of uh what we do here is that we we have chats with uh folks that think differently in the nonprofit space, someone who's approaching something differently or has a, an alternate outlook and a way for us to constantly challenge ourselves and, and iron sharpen iron through our discussions. And so excited today to continue our most recent focus, uh, which is on leadership and lessons of leadership with you, Roger. And, and so I, I want to start here with you. Uh, what one word would you use to describe leadership? Well, I'm actually going to maybe throw out a few words and then I'll pick a word. How's that? So when I think of the one word that that uh, defines, comes to mind when I think of leadership, certainly one is trust. Having the ability to uh, have others trust in you because having a leader without trust is really not a leader. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is is Courage. Right. So courage is the ability for one to step out of the shadows and want to make a difference or or have a greater impact. And and then the other one that really comes to mind 
and, and if I can use a hyphen, uh, but it's team building, right? So within our work environment, nothing gets done by yourself. And so when I think of leadership, at least in a, a work environment, it's somebody that's a team builder. Uh, Those are all great words. <laughs> they, they really are. The just you know, before we we hit record, we were talking about some of the the ways that work looks different now uh, than it has in the four decades that you've been a part of this business. Do, do any one of those words have a new or different meaning for you in this current work environment? Well, I I think certainly the the team building. <laughs> Has, has changed. Uh, and even anything related to relationships. So relationships could have been another word uh, as it relates to leadership. If anything, we are new kind of semi-remote hybrid work environments. Um, it's become more difficult to uh, build teams without direct face-to-face contact all the time. I mean, think of the way that we collaborate, right? It's in a room, there's a whiteboard, it's, uh, you know, you can see um, body language. Uh, you know when somebody wants to add on to what you're saying. Uh, you know when they're listening and not really quite agreeing. A lot of those things are lost uh, in our Zoom world. Um, so certainly, you know, our, our remoteness is very different. Uh, I commented that we don't travel like we used to. I used to be on an airplane, it seems like four or five times a month. And since um, March of uh, 2020, I think I've been on maybe six different business trips. Uh, now, certainly living in the Washington area, we have a lot of in-person events uh, with the association. So you know, I go to a lot of those, but in terms of travel to meetings, I had a meeting last week where I was picked up at a train station and uh, we went to a coffee bar for an hour and a half because the person's working remotely separate and apart from the rest of her company. And there's only certain things you can do on Zoom and, and when you need to have deeper, more important discussions, I always think it's great to have, you know, face to face. Yeah. Not only that, my, my Marriott uh, rewards has fallen significantly my loyalty has not of my own accord has fallen off uh and that's a that's an adjustment for us as well roger when you when you think about the environment that we're in now as you were just kind of talking about meeting someone in person to have those conversations as a leader do you have to approach it differently do you do you have to be intentional about the way you um interact with your coworkers and things like that in this, you know, Zoom virtual environment? Well, I think it varies by situation, but, um, you know, I think one of the challenge with uh, having meetings on Zoom is certain people can hide and, and or they get lost uh, because um, you don't have that body language, right? In a, in a face-to-face meeting. And I think, you know, what I've tried to do, in fact, it was just off of a, a meeting with a, volunteer committee uh, on membership. And um, it's really important to to reach out to individuals that haven't had a chance to speak. Some of the best ideas are the ideas that are never set. You know, I think uh, I was moderating the meeting. I was among a group of industry leaders. 
but uh, you really need to draw people into conversations when you're working just on screens. Yeah, you talk about like building teams and, and that is something that's a constant, whether or not you're in a room together or or not. Uh, you, you know, your your career, you you've built teams throughout your career. And uh, and and so when you reflect on that, uh, you know, you've been at multiple different uh, nonprofit marketing agencies and and other nonprofit marketing partners such as Wyland. You know, I, I'm curious what experiences through that time have shaped uh, shaped you to define the approach that you take now in your role at Wyland. Yeah, so I I have a great job at Wyland, and um, uh, I guess the reason why I'm in this role is I've had a varied career. Uh, you know, I'm one of the few persons in our company that has a lot of of uh, of agency experience. I uh, have had a career where I've been focused on uh, full-service agency work, being to understand all the the things of strategy, data, copy, creative, production, listed media, uh, human resources, all of that. Uh, But that's built on a foundation of how I came into the business, which was really all data and database and analytics. And so, um, you know, one of the things um, people ask me, so why did you go back to Wyland? So um, for those that don't know, I was uh, at Wyland for about seven and a half years, right straight out of college, Uh, moved to the East Coast from Colorado um, and um, ended up leaving Wyland uh, and went to work in a... uh, direct mail production company for about 10 months, I realized that I needed to, my passion was really in data. So I went to work for a, another database service bureau, primarily focusing on uh, what's today called CRM, uh, but in the day was database management services. And uh, I left there and went to Merkle, which really started a real important part of my career where I was able to really combine the data to drive strategy in a in an agency environment, and um, uh, I did that with um, <clears throat> with uh, Merkle for I guess close to, to nine ten years, uh, and then joined uh, the Moore Group, uh, Barton Cotton CDR, before eventually ending up uh, with Russ Reed. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to uh, go back to Wyland was I really missed the data aspect. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys when I see a wall of numbers, um, I like to try to understand what the most important numbers are and determine what are the, the significant, you know, uh, takeaways from, from a wall of numbers. And my role in Wyland really allows me to do that, but with the knowledge of what the industry not only the nonprofits, but also our broker and agency partners are really needing needing to accomplish in their day-to-day jobs. And so certainly having that broader perspective of the industry has really helped me uh, try to drive solutions and different innovation to, to meet our clients' needs as a, as a cooperative database partner. That's quite a, quite a long and incredible uh, journey you've had in your career. 
I've heard Justin say this term before, uh, when we have an employee leave and come back, calls it a, a boomerang employee. <laughs> yeah. So that boomerang was out there with Wyland for a while and then came back. Um, so I was, I was curious, you know, you've, you've, you've had a lot of experience in data and analytics and strategy and all these various roles. You've probably seen it change a whole lot over time. What is your impression of that? How does that look different now in the way data and strategy are, are used than it did, say, 20 years ago? Yeah, that's an interesting question, uh, Ronnie. Um, there's certainly a lot more technology tools, um, and, and especially now with the advent of, of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, certainly within our work here at Wyland, you know, the models we build today are very different than the regression type models from yesteryear. Um, but I still think that, you know, the, the models uh, that we build are only as good as the data that's used to build those models. And I think, um, you know, when I look back 20, 30 years uh, ago, um, the industry has changed, but it hasn't changed that much. Um, yeah. My, my wife, uh, likes to shoot me sometimes because I'll collect all the direct mail pieces uh, that I've received in a month or so, and I'll take them to the office and I'll lay them out and I look at the packages. Uh, and it's hard to beat a control that's a great control. And, and you see many controls that have lasted 10, 15 years. I mean, the fact that we're still uh, using name label stickers as a freemium uh, you know, that doesn't change much from the days where there was that little ad of stickers uh, in, a, in an envelope. And so you look back and you say, well, how much has really changed? Uh, and the reality is, I think one of the bigger changes in our industry happened um, about, gosh, it must have been 20 plus years ago when uh, Target Analytics Group uh created their cooperative database in nonprofits. And really, that was a um, pretty significant change for the nonprofit industry. It had been going on, certainly in uh, uh, catalog and the, the for-profit direct-to-consumer business. But for nonprofits, that was really kind of a defining point. And since that point in time, uh, you look, you know, Target Analytics Group, uh, close its doors in December, but there are six to eight different cooperative databases of which Wyland is one that have really taken what TAG started and created a pretty significant uh, footprint on the data side in our business. Yeah, it's interesting because to, to your point, like identifying patterns in numbers hasn't changed, right. uh, but it's how you identify them right that has and and in many cases what numbers we're looking at those the you know the the inputs and the way that we get there um has changed it, it, you know when you when you reflect on on your time Roger uh both in agency and uh and at you know um cooperative data partners like like Wyland etc you mentioned at the outset you know the likes of Roger Craver or you know Richard Diggory, um, who are a handful of people who have mentored you over your career, and uh, what lessons did you learn from them? Yeah, 
So I'm going to go back to the very first lesson that I probably recall, and it was actually from my mother, and and it was in college, and I was a uh, I was a freshman in college. It was uh, right around mid October, November of my freshman year, and I was kind of disgruntled. I didn't, you know, I'm like, gosh, am I in the right place? Am I doing what I should be doing? Did I go to the right school? And she said, you know what? <clears throat> Your problem is you need to get both feet in. You need to commit to something. And um, if you don't like the way things are are going, then only you can change it. And that was a great bit of advice that I've carried with me throughout my life. It was really important. From a professional perspective, there are probably three, maybe three people that have had a significant impact. One is Phil Weiland. Uh, there's no surprise why I went to work for Phil Weiland. Uh, for me, he embodies the real key things that are important in business. It's uh, honesty, it's integrity, it's doing the right thing. Um, you know, he has a lot of Phil Weilandisms that I just take to heart. Uh, one of them is um, uh, faith, family, and work in that order. Uh, so that's pretty cool, right? Another one is only do things that benefit the customer. Like if your heart's in the right place, uh, you're going to benefit in the long term. And we're in business to serve customers. Um, you know, whether you've got a lemonade stand or whether you have a, a database cooperative business, you need to do the right thing and 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 be that. But Phil Wiley to me is all about honesty, integrity, being kind caring. And, and that's really served me a, a lot. And so when I went back to Wyland, I knew I was going back into that culture. And that's really important, especially as you get closer towards the end of your career. A second person um, was a, a gentleman by the name of Fielding Yost. And uh, Fielding is CEO of Saturn Corporation. Saturn was really one of the the larger database organizations serving nonprofits back in the early 90s. And what Fielding taught me was to think bigger. And, and um, you know, Fielding um, was also a, a very good relationship person, uh, but he really taught me that there, there's something beyond the little world that we work in. He was the first to really start doing um, CRM work uh, for nonprofits in Europe and uh, from the U.S. And I learned a ton about business, about people, about developing and innovating and uh, going outside of your box, if you will. And then the last person I would mention is uh, David Williams. David Williams uh, was our CEO at Merkle. Uh, David was just a really smart business person and a great leader. Uh, I look back to the things that we learned uh, at Merkel and some of the constructs of of um, the way we approach numbers and analytics and strategy. Those are real key things. But also in the way that you manage a business and um, uh, from the, you know, how do you look at your staff? Uh, how do you develop your staff? Uh, what are the key attributes that you should look for as you're recruiting people for your team? And I never forget, forget, you know, curiosity was a big one. And I think that uh, especially in the analytics 
and uh, data side of the world, if you're not curious, you won't learn much. And I think curiosity is a big attribute that is um, sometimes overlooked, but certainly very important. Does that help answer the question a little bit, Ronnie? Absolutely. Um, those are some incredible lessons, uh, especially the curious one. I've I personally always tried to use that in my career and I started as a journalist. So kind of being curious and asking questions is, is sort of natural to me. Um, thinking about, you know, just kind of thinking about some of those lessons you learned about integrity and thinking bigger and the, and, and curiosity and things like that. When you look at kind of the state of the nonprofit industry today, and marketing today, it's incredibly complex. You know, we, you talked about numbers haven't changed, but there's a lot more numbers now and a lot more tools out there to look at them. Uh, but then you also are dealing with the kind of the post pandemic world we're in the supply chain issues, um, you know, changing results, kind of regressing to the mean for some nonprofits, all these things kind of converging at once. As you look at all of these things, how do you apply those lessons that you've learned over the years to what's happening today? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, our our world has gotten more complicated. Um, our marketing has become not only more challenging, but certainly more opportunities. For so many years, we focused primarily on single channels or maybe one or two channels. And uh, I'm not sure that I'm a proponent of the word omni-channel because I don't know that anybody's really doing omni-channel marketing. But certainly integrated multi-marketing, uh, multi-channel marketing is happening all around us. And, and I think, you know, as I look at the industry, there are more and more opportunities to spend your marketing dollars. I think one of the challenges is still that from a measurement perspective, we're not great yet at attributing um, impact to the dollars that get spent. And and um, I think that's one of the things that's going to hold back marketers into the future is not being able to measure the impact of a, mar a multi-channel touch versus a single touch. And um, there's always reluctance, I think, to make changes. So many people will continue down the single or, or spending most of their money on a single channel. When in effect, if they had the ability to measure the impact, it would certainly split up their expenditure in more meaningful, more impactful and uh, in an optimized fashion. And, and I think that's one of the, one of the challenges you had mentioned uh, earlier about uh, data and analytics and uh, certainly one of the areas, even as we we do our modeling at, at Wyland, is, you know, it's interesting to think that the same principles we use in developing response models for direct mail, we can also now use those same principles in building um, response models for impression level data. You know, I can, I can map uh, a digital display impression through our our identity graph back to an individual person. I can map the responders either through click-through data or platform uh, attribution or even through a matchback attribution to identify the responders. 
And as such, I can build a much more sophisticated model uh, similar to the response models that we build for other channels. And I think, you know, that's been enlightening to me that, that there's just a tremendous amount of data. There are all kinds of different modeling techniques. Um, and uh, there's a world beyond lookalike modeling, which is the way most platforms work, right? And we know from our work on the uh, uh, co-op side that uh, response models are more predictive and more robust than lookalike profile models. And I just think as we move forward into the next 15, 20 years, it's going to be the ability to harness all of that data and then make heads or tails out of it to determine what's working and what's not working, right? And, and I think that's always been the challenge. In a world where you're getting a 1% response rate you know, what happened to the other 99%? Well, the people that are going to win at this game are going to really harness uh, the data available to them and and do it in ways where they can determine the effectiveness of, of each dollar spent. If I were to uh, if I were to summarize, Roger, what I'm hearing from you, and, and we really are, we're so thankful for the the chance to have this conversation. It's it's something in the neighborhood of keep the main things the main thing and keep being curious. Like it's those, those things together are, uh, they're, they're things that you have exemplified, uh, but they're also things that we need to carry us forward so that we can be successful in helping nonprofits deliver on their mission. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that sums it up pretty well. The, the other thing that, you know, as I look to mentor people, even within our own company, um, work is certainly very important. But from my personal perspective, um, I've been able to to supplement my work experience with getting involved in other things. And whether you're getting involved as a coach on your youth little league, your your son or daughter's youth, youth uh, sports team, or if you're volunteering at the local food pantry, um, or if you're volunteering, Justin, as, as you do as well, uh, and, and in this case, this year, uh, you're uh, very, very involved as the co-chair of the 2023 Bridge Conference. Those are things that help you, not only personally, because they provide a lot of uh, satisfaction and enrichment, but the work that you're doing is really furthering our industry. And, and one of the things that I tried to do from college all the way through my work life is I've tried to have another piece of me helping the betterment of something else. And the one thing that I've chosen to do is to help our industry as it thrives and grows and evolves into the future. And, and Justin, thank you for the work that you're doing as well. Oh, Roger, that that's very, very kind of you. And, um, and I agree with you. I think that, you know, uh, we all need to think about the nonprofit marketing space as um, something that we're holding and that it's our responsibility to uh, carry forward and to to always leave a place better than the way that you found it. And certainly you've done that. And and I hope that um, that I'm able to do such, Ronnie and and 
that everyone who works in the sphere, I mean, that's, I think that without fail, everyone that we talk to, uh, when you, you talk about, you know, how they ended up in this strange land that we work in, uh, none of them set out to do it, but everyone finds a, uh, a greater sense of purpose by doing so. And we would be foolish to not care for that sense of purpose for those that come behind us. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, Roger, you know, uh, we could certainly take all of your, uh, your, your time today while you're in office and continue the chat. But, uh, but we're, we're very thankful for the chance to visit with you, to learn a little bit about your, uh, your path and, uh, the lessons that you learned over time and, uh, and are excited to see how you continue to make an impact both at Wyland and in the broader nonprofit marketing industry. So thank you for, for joining us for this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Ronnie, and thanks, Justin. Appreciate it, and uh, I love the work that you're doing here, and um, just glad to have been able to participate. Thank you. No, absolutely. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for for this conversation. You can find all of our episodes of Group Thinkers uh, on wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you like to watch them, so uh, so be sure to check those out. We also have other resources available on RKD's website and rkdgroup.com. And so, until next time, Ronnie, any uh, any final. Hall related words. I have several halls in my house. It's good. Side, side way. Poignant and okay. It's very poignant. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, it was a long walk to get there. All right. Thanks, y'all. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. See you down the road. Thank you very much. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers, Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers. 